soberly, what Kennedy is saying is it, it's in the national interest now. He's saying uh, we should do what my uncle wanted to do. We should make America beloved around the world. And because these current policies, those policies that are the Cold War policies, the policies of U.S. empire forever, they're generating the opposition to U.S. hegemony. And it's, gonna, it's ending. I think it basically already has. I think we're in the Wiley Coyote stage of like you've run off the edge of a cliff and you just haven't hit the ground yet. And, but so it's actually there's more reason to get behind this now. But but they but the media and everything is still doubling down on this forever. And so that makes me very um, concerned about his prospects. Yeah. Well, the, the, the thing in Ukraine has done so much backfiring on American foreign policy uh, because it's it's actually in a offbeat kind of a way, it's caused the creation of BRICS, which I believe uh, between China, Russia, and India, uh, I believe what's going to happen there eventually with the Road and Beltway project, for example, I think that they're going to formulate a kind of uh, alternative currency to the dollar, okay, which I, I believe is going to be uh, very effective. And I think that that economic union that's forming now, I think is going to be extremely popular as time goes on, you know, and they're trying to actually recruit members from the, from the yeah, Middle East have. already. I mean, they've got, they All made right. the Chinese made yeah. peace with, between Saudi Arabia and Iran and uh, they, the Syria got readmitted to the Arab League. I mean, I think everything is going against the direction of the U.S. empire because the U.S. empire's counteroffer I mean, China is like, well, we can uh, we can sign, arrange peace deals. We can build infrastructure in your project in your country. We can do trade. And the U.S. is like, well, how about we make an alternative? We'll just screw you uh, as hard as we can and forever. <laughs> how how about that instead? And then people are like, why is why are people turning away from America and toward China? But that's what the U.S. has been doing forever. They've wanted to make it so there's no alternative to doing business with the U.S. and getting screwed. And now there's finally an alternative. <laughs> And they're acting – they're so shocked. Well, see, see, Kennedy Kennedy tried something like this with the Alliance for Progress, you know, in, in Latin America. Okay, he, he was trying to go ahead and arrange either low interest or no interest loans out of the treasury, okay, uh, in order to kind of rebuild, um, you know, the horrors of imperialism. Spanish and Portuguese imperialism, you know, in Latin America. And if you recall, we dealt a little bit with this in the long version of the film. He had this meeting down in Uruguay, okay, of all these countries. It was really a, an extraordinary thing. And, and they would bring in all these projects and they would have a country by country evaluation, you know, and they would go ahead and say, okay, this is going to cost so much. It's going to take this many years, et cetera. And when it was all over, you know, Kennedy realized, you know, this is going to be even more expensive than I thought it was going to be. You know? <laughs> it's going to take even longer than I thought it was going to take. Okay. Now, of course, what happened there is that Johnson then went ahead and made the loans out of the IMF. Okay, which chart? Well, let's not even get into that. That's a whole racket that should have been ended a long time ago. And then Nixon, you know, who Nixon put in charge of it was Nelson Rockefeller. 
And so they just zeroed the program out. Okay. You know, and so that was one of the very few times that America really kind of took a kind of beneficent brother attitude towards her neighbors to the south. Is Putin really that far off when he says something like everything the United States touches turns to dust? I mean, what did we do in Iraq? What did we do in Syria? What are we doing in Ukraine? I mean, it's just, you know, I, it is amazing to me. These people that are like, to, oh, we're going to liberate the Iraqis. And we're so concerned about Syria and the Ukrainians need our help, too. And then you look at, OK, what was it like before the U.S. decided to do whatever they do in these countries? And then after, I mean, how it, it, there's no amount of propaganda that can cover this up anymore. It's just this is the we're in the sort of slapstick phase of the of imperial decline in a way except there's too many people dying to really think it's that funny but it's like how does one even make a begin to make an argument an affirmative argument for what the u.s does in the world like you just can't and then and and once we lose the power because we're losing that then what's going to be left in the u.s are they going to go in a fascist direction or are they going to reform things uh, rfk represents a chance to reform before hitting rock bottom i think and i i don't agree with all of his his positions because but to the extent the ones i disagree with are typically ones i see as like political calculations basically just like it was with his father and uncle i mean he's he's pro israel which i am not and he's basically pro capitalism which which i am not but he's anti fascist and he's anti imperialist and when i say he's anti fascist he's not saying that explicitly, although he probably would be like, yeah, I'm not a fascist, but he's saying I'm against all the surveillance. I'm against a digital currency and, you know, that compliance regime and, and surveillance and for vaccinations and, you know, apartheid vaccination regimes or uh, spying on people on the Internet and all these things that he's against, like and, and he wants to free whistleblowers uh, and, and, and pardon uh, Assange and Snowden. I mean, he's an anti-fascist. I think that's significant. And he's anti-corporatist. Uh, he thinks the corporations have way too much power uh, in the United States, especially big yeah. pharma. And he's, and he's talked about the military-industrial complex yeah. also. Those are all sympathetic issues that I think once this heats up into the arena, I mean, when you have a, a, a what, an 82-year-old guy who can't even walk and falls on a stage at, at the Air Force, Okay, I think, you know, people are going to have doubts, you know, and according to some people, he can't make a speech without his index cards. You he know? can't so, really do very good even with his index yeah. cards. Yeah. He, so, was, he was known as so, the gaff master when, at his prime, at his sharpest. He was a guy who was better off the less he said. And now 82, it's just, it's a, it's, it's a joke. The thing is, I think we all know, uh, is that uh, Marianne Williamson and Bobby Kennedy, the fact that DNC will not even sponsor a debate between the three tells you just how bad the Democratic Party has gotten to the point that it's not democratic. Okay, it's like, you know, when you won't even allow free speech in a debate, between the three leading candidates. I mean, you know, that tells you a lot about how bad the Democratic Party has become. If you think of it, and it's not that long ago, 
the way Jesse Ventura became the governor of Minnesota was that the other two candidates agreed to a debate on stage. And Jesse was so effective and so eloquent and honest that that blasted him into the lead among the three candidates. Okay, now, am I saying that that's what's going to happen if, if there's a debate between... No, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying the Democratic National Committee doesn't want to even risk that happening. I think that's obviously the yeah. message I mean, that they're giving I think out. They've not had a full debate. I don't know that they have for... Did they, did they In 96, were there any debates? I mean, their argument, which is self-serving, is that because there's an incumbent, then they don't need to. They don't. They're not required to do the debates. There's some precedent for that, uh, as I understand it. However, there is not a precedent for this situation where you have a guy who a large majority of the party does not want to run again, and who has very low public approval and very low opinion or very low um, support when rank when compared to his po- possible Republican challengers. I mean, it's a a very unique situation for the Democrats. That was just an excerpt from the American Exception podcast. To hear the whole episode, as well as archived and new episodes, please subscribe to the American Exception podcast at Patreon. There's a link in the show notes, or you can just go to patreon.com slash American Exception. Subscribe and you can join us as we illuminate the dark side of the U.S. empire.